Uh, so we are continuing, as you've already heard, uh, about the second Sunday of Advent. And this is a familiar passage that's used for Advent, uh, that about the kingdom of heaven is near, from Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. I don't know if you've had some people ask you this question. Have you had them ask you that question yet? Or is it just the women that get asked that question? Are you ready for Christmas? Amen. Hallelujah. Ready for Christmas. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of Christmas preparations. I, I met somebody recently this week, a complete stranger to me, and she was all in a kerfuffle because she said she, didn't get every, she hasn't got everything done and so much going on, and they just got their wood in, and, oh, she was just in a, a total mess because she's not prepared for Christmas. And so we hear a lot of that about Christmas preparations. But we know that preparations are an important part of our lives right? Uh, Couples prepare for their wedding day. That's a big part of preparations. Uh, Parents prepare for the birth of a new child or bringing that child home. Students prepare for exams. We don't like to be reminded of that. But the truth is this morning, before Jesus started his ministry, there were preparations also being made, and that's where John the Baptist prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. And that's, I'll read these verses uh, 1 to 12. If you have your Bibles or the Pew Bibles and you'd like to turn to them, we're looking at Matthew 3. We're looking at this familiar passage of verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, I warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear this threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. Father, we pray today now as we look at this passage that's used for the season of Advent that you would speak to us through your word today. Holy Spirit, that you would do the work that only you can do in times like this, that your word is alive, it is able to speak to each one of us individually, 
and to all of us corporately. And now we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as Lord, the living word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So here we look at this idea of what does it mean to repent? And we'll look at that shortly. What does it mean to prepare spiritually as we're thinking about preparing for Advent, preparing for Christmas? What does it mean to prepare spiritually? And John's message here comes very clear. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. We can see John is an interesting character. He's out in the wilderness. He's called the forerunner of Jesus in verse 4. And it tells us that John is much like the prophet Elijah. Now, we don't have time this morning to get into it, but there is the previous exodus, and now there's a new exodus that's happening in this passage. And just as the children of Israel had to cross uh, the Jordan River to be able to move into the promised land. We see in this situation again, at this new exodus, this new beginning of what God is doing, they are now coming to the Jordan to repent. And so this prophet like Elijah, John, is now preaching a message and he's saying, God is about to do something new. God is doing a new thing. Something new is happening. Honestly, the world at that time did not look much like the kingdom of heaven as we know the tyranny under Rome. God seemed so far away. They had been waiting for years and years for the Messiah to come. And God didn't even seem real anymore. They had seen, they felt that they were, uh, God had forgotten them. See, the wilderness is a strange place for God to do a new thing. Think about that. Moses received the call from God in the wilderness. God's people were delivered from Pharaoh in the wilderness. Jesus, in preparation for his ministry, spent 40 days in the wilderness. And God is saying a a statement here through John. He was taking a stance against life as usual, self-absorbed lifestyle. The wilderness was a place to get serious about the things of God. Do you realize that the wildernesses in your life, the dark night of the soul, those desolate places spiritually, is God is wanting you to get serious with him and the things of God. It's a place where distractions are taken away. Our focus now can be on God and we listen for his voice. Just a sidebar, do you realize that's what camp meeting was supposed to be about? Good old camp meetings were supposed to be about this opportunity to leave life as usual, to get away from everything and to focus in on God and to rough it a bit. Now, usually when we look at campgrounds now, we want them very luxurious. We want them just like home. But back in the day, they used to rough it at camp meeting because it was this idea, we're going off into the wilderness with God. We're going to go and search for God. But most of us, if we had our way, we would avoid the wilderness. A few hunters, probably not. But in these barren places that God chooses, that's the very place that God chooses to do a new thing. And this crazy John, wrapped in crazy clothes and unkept hair, is out there shouting, God is about to do something new. Someone is coming. Are you ready? Come and get ready for his arrival. 
John is saying to them that God has started to bring his kingdom, his rule, into the realm of humans where we live. God was bringing his kingdom through the coming of his son, Jesus. And so, you know, we think of this word kingdom. I couldn't help to think about our youth at one of the NYCs, not the last one, but the one before, was all about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, and you know, we don't talk enough in the church about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, there is this aspect that the kingdom of God is this place where he reigns spiritually. And I keep thinking about even up in Parliament, and I keep praying for it, that the scriptures are written over the doorposts in our Parliament that he shall have dominion from sea to sea. He does. In the spiritual realm, God is king, and he is king over Canada. He is the kingdom of God in the spiritual realm. But you know what we're also looking for when we're talking about the kingdom of God? We're saying that his will, the kingdom of God shows up when his will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God, yes, is this spiritual reality that God reigns, but every time that God's will is done right here in Elmsdale and West Prince, there is the kingdom. There is the kingdom. The coming of the kingdom of God was the most frequent message in the teaching of Jesus. We'd like to narrow Jesus' teaching down to so many different things We often talk about the gospel, but if you want to hear the message of Jesus, Jesus spoke the most about the kingdom of God. Do you realize that just in the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 30 times in that gospel? And so we realize that the kingdom of God is this presence of Christ right here on the earth. It is his second coming when he shall return. It is his influence, the kingdom influence, on my heart and your heart. It is this fact of Christianity that we are children of the king. And praise God, there's going to come a day when we will enter into his kingdom together. It is a coming kingdom. And so there is this truth about the kingdom of God that it is already here and the not yet. The day that that baby was born, the kingdom of God broke in on earth. It's already here. But there is a day when the king shall return. And so there is this sense that we are caught in this tension of the reality of the kingdom of God is here, but there's a day when the king shall return, and we're waiting for his arrival. Adam Clark said it this way, but why is it called the kingdom of heaven? Because God designed that his kingdom of grace here should resemble the kingdom of glory there. And hence, our Lord teaches us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many of you know, I've shared before, that I use the Lord's Prayer as my daily prayer time. And and I come to this phrase, and and I say it, Lord, may your will be done here in Elmsdale as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my family, your kingdom will be done in my family in Ontario as it is in heaven. See, that's a powerful prayer that the Lord has left behind for us. 
that has taught us to pray. Have you ever changed culture? Have you ever gone to another place, another place to live? Uh, we have gone through and have experienced a little bit of uh, the culture shock. We've experienced a little bit of the awkwardness of changing cultures. Uh, Pastor Mike, I was thinking of one of the funny stories that Pastor Mike had the experience. Uh, him and this other gentleman were doing their master's degree in Manchester, and as they were going back and forth to Manchester doing their degree through extension, uh, when they first went, they got a call in the morning at, the uni at our college there in Manchester, and they said, so would you like tea? And so our friend that's American and Pastor Mike said, no, we'd like coffee, thank you. They returned the answer. So uh, supper time came, and they went downstairs, and there was nothing for them. So when they were asking, would you like tea, what were they asking? Would you like supper? That's what they call supper in England, tea. And so these guys said no, so they didn't prepare any supper for them that night. They came in and thought, what's going on here? We don't get any supper. Well, you didn't ask for supper. What do you mean we didn't ask for supper? Well, when we asked if you wanted tea, you said no. And they said, well, we thought you meant tea, and we want a coffee. And so we see this difficulty in cultures and and so what what John is saying here and what he's crying out to the people here in this passage he is saying that you are of one kingdom one country one world God is now doing something new and he's inviting you into a new kingdom a new culture a new world my friends as children of God as this kingdom of heaven we are to be different we know that because Colossians tells us that. We have this King Jesus. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. This, this is what John is wrestling with in this passage. The kingdom implies this morning that we have a king. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And so as we think about Jesus, our king, this is what the scriptures, the gospels have said about him. Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world in the gospel of John. Jesus' authority did not come from man, but from God in Luke. Again, in John, it says the entrance into the kingdom of God is only by new birth. Repentance, as Matthew says. A divine call, as 1 Thessalonians says. We are told to seek the kingdom of God first and to pray for its arrival in Matthew. The kingdom of God, we are told, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, Paul said to the Romans. As we know, it's also a future kingdom where full rulership and the actual presence of the king, Jesus, will occur when he returns to earth. And so in all that knowledge, John says, the kingdom has come near. This Advent, do you realize that the kingdom has come near? Some, some passages say the kingdom has come at hand. What does that mean when we think at hand? Well, it means it came near. But look at your hand. Look at one of your hands this morning. Do you have a hand? I think you do. Look at it. What is, what is John saying? You see how close your hand is? That close. That's God's kingdom. That's how close God's kingdom is coming to us. This advent, as close as your hand, the kingdom of God is coming, is here. 
Now, I don't know if some of you have been around trains. We don't have them here on the island anymore. I remember the Newfie Bullet as a child going uh, from Cornerbrook to Gander, my first experience on a train. But we lived in Europe, and in Toronto, you have the GO trains that bring you in and out of the city. <clears throat> and being in Europe, we took the train a lot of places, and there is that aspect that when you're waiting for the train, you're out on that platform, and you'll watch people. The train's not there yet. You just watch people. People watching is fun. They're looking. Do you see it yet? No. Is it on time? No. It's late? Oh, where is the train? And they'll, and they'll sit there and they'll anticipate and wait because the schedule says the train is coming. And so they anticipate the train. But when the train comes and it pulls in, you've only got a few minutes to get on board. We've had some very <laughs> experiences on that. I won't get into it today. The train is there. It's on the platform. It's come down the track and the doors are open, and you have to make a decide. You have to make a decision and decide, I'm going to get on that train. The old gospel singers would say what? Get on board, little children. Get on board. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come, and it's just like that. John is saying, it is coming. Are you anticipating it? Are you waiting for it? And when it comes... Are you willing to get on board? How? How do we do this? John was very clear to those that were in his uh, listening to what he was saying. He's very clear to us now as we read God's word this morning. There's only one way to get on board. There's only one way to be a part of the kingdom of God, and that is this word, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is now here. This is how we respond this Advent. This is how we respond when we are faced with the reality of God's kingdom. And the word, oh, I'm sure you're thrilled in Greek, is metanoia. <laughs> we love to say sorry as Canadians. You ever notice that? Sorry, sorry, sorry. We, we just, that's just kind of a word that slips out of our mouths. Some of us have had children that have found out that that's a magic word. If I say sorry, I get out of trouble. But I don't really mean it. And I don't plan to change my ways. I'll just say the magic word, sorry. Well, the truth of it is with this word repentance, yes, sorry is important. Regret and remorse is important. And a lot of us have showed uh, sorry, that we're sorrowful for what we have done. We've showed regret and remorse. People will even talk about it. <clears throat> if there's anything you can hear Canadians talk about today is regret. People have a lot of regrets. That's only one small part of repentance. As we have heard so many times, repentance is a turning away. It, it, it's, it's turning away uh, a way of life and now moving in a new way of life, a new inauguration, a new beginning, a new kingdom as we already talked about. This is where transformation happens. Transformation doesn't happen in I'm sorry and I'm remorseful and I have regrets. Do you know where true transformation happens? And we are holiness people and we believe in the transforming grace of Jesus Christ and the move of the Holy Spirit. It happens when I start there, but I start to go in the direction that God would want me to go with my life. 
you know, repentance is basically a religious word. It isn't a religious word. <clears throat> we use it now as a religious word, but that's not its roots. It actually came from a culture of nomadic people. So these nomadic people had no maps <laughs> and no Google Maps and no street signs and did not know where they were going. They would go out into the wilderness and out into the desert and they would get lost. Do you ever get lost? Do you ever feel lost? And so the truth of it, this is, is when they are lost, you have to come to a place, men and some women, and admit, I'm lost. That's a big step. I'm lost. Uh-oh. I've lost my way. What do you have to do next? You turn around and go back into a new or a different direction to find your way. This is what repentance is all about. It's I come to a place where I realize I am going in the wrong direction. I give God the praise and the glory that I came to a point in my life and continue to come to points in my life when I say this is the wrong direction. This is not the attitude of Christ. This is not the thing I should be wasting my time on. This is not important. This is not where I want to be, and this is not where I want to go. And then I go a different route with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's when I see change in Transformers. Repent is the first word of the gospel. Repent, John the Baptist says here, but right after here, what are the words that Jesus first says? Repent. Repent was the first words in the preaching ministry of the twelve. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave his disciples after his resurrection. And repent was the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon ever preached. Repent was the first word in the mouth of the Apostle Paul. Repent is a word of the gospel. Repent means I'm willing to get rid of whatever in my life is not of God, is not pleasing of God, is not bringing the kingdom of God here. And my friends, it's not a one-time trip to the altar 40 years ago. Repentance and humbleness is a lifestyle. It is a daily reality because the enemy comes knocking on the door daily. Am I going to live my life for God today or am I going to live my life for me? And there are times where I find myself, and, and I believe you do too, where we find ourselves engrossed in self-centeredness and selfishness and an attitude that is not of Christ, and I need to repent in that moment and give it over to the Lord. In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes that the church's integrity problem is in this misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief without a change in behavior. He goes on to say, it is revival without reformation and without repentance. Now, if I, if I said to you that, you know, God does all of this work in us, 
But this would say to me today, there is something we do need to do. If you called me this week and said, Pastor Benny, I want to come up to Elmsdale, and I'm living in Charlottetown, but I'm going to come see you this week. There's one thing that you would need to do before you could come see me in Elmsdale. You'd have to leave Charlottetown. That's what John is saying here. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, if if you want to be ready for the coming of the king, then you must leave where you are at in order to be where God wants you to be. We have to leave our life of sin and self-centeredness if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This message is not all warm fuzzies, is it? Because he then starts to look and see uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, and they weren't coming to repent. They were coming to check out what was going on. And so John starts to say some pretty heavy words. Jesus would say the same heavy words to them about you brood of vipers and all kinds of things because you see the Pharisees were there and they were people who were of the law. They're under the children of Abraham. They see themselves as uh, legalism and keeping the rules and tradition uh, that that's what's going to save them. And you have the Sadducees that are in bed with the Romans and others because for them it's about politics and power. And they didn't believe in the future resurrection. They weren't into the spirit moving, heaven forbid, that God would move amongst the people. And so in the midst of all of this, they are there just to check it out. John says to them, oh, you're looking for an earthly, temporal king that will overthrow the Romans. Because you're, you're looking at politics and all these other places But John exhorts them to change their minds, to change their ways, and come and also repent. Because this king would be a king, a spiritual king, that wouldn't be here just for a moment or a time in history, but he is the king of all eternity. They needed new eyes to see new things that God was doing. Do you realize this morning that no matter how many days we've been walking with the Lord or years or how many Christmases we've experienced or how many Advents, we need eyes to see the new thing that God wants to do. Advent 2019. I'm praying for new eyes to see it. To see the King. To be ready for His coming He goes on to the Pharisees and Sadducees, bear the fruit keeping in repentance. So what we're saying is if you are truly repenting, if there is a turning away from what was to what is, there will be fruit. People will be able to see the transformation. You will not be the old man or the old woman. You will be a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's fruit, people, if we are truly following the king. There's fruit in our marriage if our marriage as husband and wife is centered on Jesus the King and his kingdom. There's fruit in our family when we say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There's fruit when we follow this way of transformation and repentance. But now there's a division John is preparing the way. It's right before Jesus' ministry begins. And he says there's going to be a division 
And we know the division. I've been reading through the book of Revelation lately that there are those who repent and there are those who do not. There is a great divide, my friends. There's a great divide in the church even. There's a great divide between us and the community at large this Christmas. There is the reality that there are those that are ready for the king's coming and have repented, and there are those who choose not to. Thank you very much. And we are told that that division will come on that great day of the Lord. He will come and he has the winnowing fork. What is the winnowing fork? They would take it to throw the wheat up in the air so the wind would blow away the chaff and the wheat would fall. And he will come and gather the wheat and the chaff is no good for anything. It's burned. Basically, John is saying, get ready. God is doing a new thing. But judgment is coming. See, we talk about this in the church. We, we don't want to go around talking about the wrath of God and judgment all the time because ultimately we're in the day of grace. We are in the day when God is calling us, his people, and those that are not his people, to be ready for his return. And he has not returned yet. We're still on the tracks looking down for that train to come. We're that ready. But he hasn't come yet. We're still under grace. We still have time. Today is the day that we can make things right. But there will come a day when that train has come and that train will leave and we'll be left in judgment, left in our mess. If a, if a king was coming, you know, there is the motorcades. I, I've never seen, I've seen it on television. Have you guys seen it on television, a motorcade for royalty? We've seen it in Ontario? You have, I don't remember it. But those motorcades, you know, like they, they come in and, and everybody's pushed out to the side and they come and this royalty shows up and, and, and things are pushed out of the way. Lo roads are actually closed. Police cars will be there pushing people out of the way. And so as we bring this to a close this morning, we see that over 2,000 years ago, another king was coming and the word went out and everybody was coming to see what was happening. And there wasn't even a road. And he was saying, we better get ready. This herald, this uh, prophet, this Elijah was shouting, the king is coming. Make a road for him. Get ready. The king is coming. Make the crooked way straight. But you know what? They knew they weren't ready. That's why they came. That's why they came out in flocks, floods of people, went to find this strange man in the wilderness and said, yes, we want to go under the waters again of this new exodus of what God is doing. We want to repent. We want to get ready for the coming of the Lord. I thought of that today. I thought, are we ready? Would we admit that we're not ready? If the Lord was to return today? I thought about if somebody, you know, I, I try to keep my house fairly clean. I try. <laughs> I think it's somewhat clean and tidy. There's always something that needs to be done. As women, we know that, especially here at Christmas time. But if somebody came and said, you know, Pastor, tomorrow the Queen of England is coming to have tea. 
what would I do today? I'd be scrubbing the floors. I'd be cleaning that house for her presence. The King of Kings, my friends, is coming. He has already come, but he's coming again. John is saying, you better get ready for his coming. Are you ready? What do you need to do today to get ready for the king that is coming? As the worship band comes, we're reminded of Dorian. I was thinking about that, about Rhodes. I think that picture is from Summerside. We saw the havoc that Dorian caused, didn't we? We, we saw that as we watched on our televisions and stayed indoors, <laughs> that, wow, what a mess. I remember seeing the roads up by Cavendish. They couldn't pass. People kept putting different pictures up of, of how the roads were Im, impassable. And so people had to go out, right, and make those roads ready that others could walk across. That's what John is saying here to us also as a church this morning. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. The passage that Matthew quoted was from Isaiah 40. Man, we got a lot of potholes. After the winter, it'll be worse. And teams will go out to try to fill in those potholes, to make the roads passable to make it easier for people. And so I, I think the reality this morning, also for us as the church, this passage tells us this Advent, what do we need to clear out of the way in the church? What do we need to clear out of the way in our lives? What do we need to do in the community? Uh, what do we need to do at Advent? So I'm not just me and my family coming to bow at Jesus, the baby, during Christmas, but I'm making a way for others to come. It's what John is calling us to do, to make a way for the Lord, to prepare the way. Now, I want us to do something this morning. If, if you're feeling called this morning to be like those early Israelites that heard John on that day, you want to be honest and humble before the Lord. You want to say, Lord, I, I need to repent today. I want to get ready for the coming of the Lord. I invite you to come as we sing this closing song. Do you know the truth of it is some of us are in a wilderness this morning. Some of us are in a dry place, a desolate place, a difficult place. I want to encourage you this morning that God wants to do a new thing right there in that wilderness that you would find your place. Maybe there are some today that would come and just say, God, do a new thing in our lives, in my marriage, in our family, in my heart this Christmas. And some of us in the church would say, God, use me. Use me this Christmas to make the crooked way straight, that others could come, that my family could come, that all could come. And so as we sing this closing song, if you need to meet with the Lord today, I invite you to come, and we'll close in prayer. God bless you.